Tom, you ready? We're ready. Let's do this. All right, Ty, you ready? Aye, aye. All right, brother. Timeout. Tyler, who are we taking a timeout with today? Kevin, thanks, man, for having us on the show again, man. Timeout with Leaders Season 3, Episode 2. Well, today, ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages, we have Tom Ulbrich, the president and CEO at Goodwill of Western New York. Tom, thanks for being on the show today with Kevin and I. Timeout with Leaders Season 3, Episode 2. First question out of the gate, Tom, is say we're in our, our younger 20s, right? And me, you, and Kevin are, are going out to some sledding today in Buffalo after oh, yeah. y'all got about 1,900 feet of snow over the weekend. <laughs> what? So it's us three. What other three people are coming along with us for a couple drinks and a couple good sleddings in our younger 20s? In our younger 20s. It's, it's a good question. So definitely Josh Allen. Oh, yes. we've got we, we we definitely have to bring uh bring along josh allen with us um i'd love to bring along uh probably have to help a little bit but if we could like, get ronald reagan there all right i think for <laughs> for sure um and man i'm trying to think who else i i think i bring hugh jackman oh wow <laughs> That <laughs> is a mix of people right there. Because you kind of look so like you, Jack me, Tom. All right. So after we're done sledding, we're having a couple uh, hot toddies. You know, we're out there. Now you're taking us out to your favorite place to eat in Buffalo. Tom, where are you taking us? For Josh, Ronald, and Hugh, as well as Tyler. Where are we sitting down for a nice so, meal? So not not too fancy, but I think uh, favorite place has got to be live Toteca. On Transfer Road. Not not going to go too fancy, just some really good food. All right. Tyler and I, we, we sometimes like the uh, the atmosphere, but the food is really all we care about at the end yeah. of the day. And, and being a Southerner, Tom, can you – I've asked every Northerner this question. What the heck is a hard roll? Can you describe <laughs> what a hard roll is to us Southerners? Because we call yeah. them buzz. Is there anything <laughs> yeah. special? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think think of a hard roll as as a really really stale soft roll that you're used to. If you were to leave it out for a really really long time, it just sit there, and then sometimes we'll even like dip it in water and sprinkle sprinkle a little salt on it for you too, just to rejuvenate it from a couple yeah. days. Before. Yeah, that's the best I can. That's the best I can do. I'm gonna, I'll pass that on. I needed that. Yes, I get that one a lot. All right, so now we're at, uh, we're having our hard rolls. We're eating at this claim to fame. What music are you going to request that we listen to on repeat? Whew. On repeat. I like to listen to just about anything, but but if I got to date myself, I'd probably be pulling out some Chicago. Ooh, maybe. all right. Yeah, if, if, I had, if I had to pick one one band. That was about the only song I think my dad could play on the piano was one of Chicago's songs. <laughs> There's a few of them, right? <laughs> All right. So jumping into kind of uh, the leadership side of it, I am giddy for today's conversation because you've kind of come from the business world into academics and now doing both business and academics. Um, right. What have you learned in leadership? Is it impact or is it influence? It's, it's I think, impact through influence is, is the way I think about leadership. And, um, and to me, it's really all about people when you get right down to it, um, whether it's at a for-profit, a non-profit, whether it's at a university. I, I like to think that probably the only competitive advantage left in business to me 
is, is your people. And that includes, I've worked with a lot of startups over the years when I was at UB and um, sure, you might have a patent, you might have something you can protect, but you can have all the cash in the world. You can have the best strategy in the world, but if you don't have people to execute on it, um, you're nothing. So, so I think it's all about people when you get right down to it. Because I, I, I say today, similarly to you, I see it the same way. The idea now is the easy part. That used to be one of the hardest parts, but that is now seemingly the easiest part, finding the people, developing the people, and getting them behind that mission, vision, and values to achieve those goals is the hardest. So yeah. I, I share that same, and uh, it's it's pretty powerful to see the variance. And you, you share with the entrepreneurial world, you can probably see that difference in those styles. I appreciate that. Ty, what do you got? Tom, I want to pick your brain a little bit. Well, for one, I wanted to ask you a quick question. If you're traveling on 490 today and you could and you could design your own billboard and you had one message for you Buffalonians and Rochesterians that, that here today, what's on your billboard? And we'll, I'll get back to some leadership and some awesome startup questions, but what's on Tom Obrick's billboard? Wow. So... <clears throat> Man, I'm going to go a little serious with you on this one. So um, I there's something that I heard a long time ago that it sort of stuck with me. What Just about life in general. I think as you get older, you start to consider this a little bit more. So I've, I've got you guys by a few decades, I think. So there, I, I believe Brendan Burchard said this first, but really just thinking about, did I live? Did I love? Did I matter? And that sort of, as you as you start to get older, all the all of your accomplishments, you you start to realize the world's a pretty big place, and no matter how important you think you are, you're not right. And in the end, it's really about you know who were you able to um, have great relationships with? Did you live a great life? And did you matter? Did you matter to the people you love? Did you matter to the people that you work with? Did you did you in some way change the world while you were doing what you were doing with your little time here? Dude, absolutely. And what, what matters to you to this day, Tom? What, what, what's your matter? Yeah, what matters to me right now is really a couple things. First and foremost is I want to be a really interesting grandpa. Like, <laughs> number one, <laughs> number one is I've got six grandchildren. And what? I don't believe yeah, that. It just that's that's certainly really top of mind. But when it comes to business in the community, it's really um, it's right now for me, it's about legacy, like building something and helping build something that's great for the community. And really what I keep thinking about a lot is how do I build the team that this business isn't about the leader? And that's a lot, when you work with a lot of small businesses, you recognize often the biggest stumbling block or the bottleneck to success is their leadership. If they just look in the mirror and it's like, wow, you're the one that's kind of holding it back. 98% of businesses in the US never gross more than a million dollars. And I'm convinced it's because most of us are really good at doing everything as an entrepreneur or a business owner. Um, so you can manage six, seven, eight, nine people. You can grow some million dollars, but to really, really be able to scale things, uh, you've got you've got to be able to to uh, to build those people. And again, matter right now is really building this organization here at Goodwill and building the team so that uh, whether I'm here, I'm not here any given day or not here. Period this place runs smooth as can be. And we are building a great team. We're super excited for our senior team and, and uh, people underneath that as we build out the organization here. 
That's exciting. Exciting. And obviously, we're all going through a time of evolution uh, because we just had a relatively a revolutionary moment with uh, with the pandemic and the additional pressures in the socioeconomic climate as well that we find ourselves in. And I, w- I was curious to kind of go back to because what I what I struggled with, Tom, and what I had to learn through the pandemic is that I tried to separate who I was at home um, with who I was at work. Um, and I right. think males in general yeah, my father struggled with it for many, many years too. And my grandfather said, Hey, never let work know who you are outside of work. Don't tell them that you bought a house, you know, don't tell them that you settled down. Um, and I find myself kind of transitioning now more towards celebrating the personal and professional individual that I am. You mentioned your legacy of, of being entertaining and being a, uh, a meaningful grandfather, right? But also about the same legacy that you want to leave at, at, at Goodwill of Western New York. What parallels, what similarities do you find in, in both? Yeah, I think another great question. Do you, you guys have great questions? So <laughs> I'll give you that no matter what, okay? Um, the, um, I, I think this really comes down to that age-old question of work-life balance, which I call BS on that. Um, yeah. I don't think there is such a thing, to be honest with you. Um, I think in answer to your question, it's really about work-life integration to mm-hmm. me. How do you integrate the two together? For instance, I worked all weekend on some stuff for Goodwill, but I had, you know, I had the opportunity. We were sort of in the house, not a lot to do. And then I might be doing something with my grandkids on a uh, Friday afternoon at three o'clock or, mm-hmm. or whatever opportunities arise, right? And I think you've got to integrate those. And what's maybe a little bit different today is that it, work and life are that separate for a lot of people. Um, I think you have to be able to manage that. But I also think really lead back to leadership, the best leaders are transparent and transparency mm-hmm. is like letting people in to know who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and that doesn't mean they have to know every little detail about every little thing in your life, but, but um, letting them recognize that you're a real person and yeah. you've got real, you know, uh, joys, struggles, the same as every other human being has. And I think that integration of the two is, is really critical for leaders today. Cause I think, I think sometimes Tyler and I hear from a, a number of leaders too, is that, um, sometimes that title blocks people from, uh, almost adds an additional filter of what people are willing to tell you, right. Or share about what's going on within the organization. But here you are saying, well, if transparency is my number one intention, right? Transparency is going to organically build that trust. They're going to see me as a human. They know that I have faults. Um, and here we are, we can create an environment where we all fail together, but we learn faster. Um, how have you created, I guess, that relationship to share, hey, this is who I am outside of work. I believe in transparency. I believe in a team, putting the right people in the right seats. I expect that you give me unfiltered, uh, unbiased, feedback of what really is going on. How do you build that relationship with that team that obviously helps you to really make decisions together as you move forward? So I, I came to Goodwill uh, May 1st, 2020, right in the middle of the COVID crisis. We were closed. Everything wow. was shut down. So wow. it was difficult, but at the same time, um, it was an opportunity in a crisis because all we did for the first probably 16, 18 months was crisis management, right? Trying to get people to work, trying to manage COVID and all the different pieces. So at first, the way we did it was 
lots of phone calls, lots of Zooms. But the way it evolved to today is a, is a couple. We have a formal system built um, where we have regular communications with all members of our team. So the, I meet with all the managers every other month. Um, we'll do it via Zoom if we have to to get everybody. We'll try to do it in person. And then we do an all-hands meeting with the entire staff once a quarter. But how do you really build those relationships? I think it's really old-fashioned management by walking around. I make sure I walk this building at least once or twice a day. Um, in fact, some of my direct reports or my senior staff are always like, stop walking around the building, you cause problems. Because a lot of times the CEO's out there and you're being friendly and people ask questions and I'll just be, yep, yep. And they take that as, oh, Tom said. So it can cause a little bit of a problem for people, but it's that one-to-one -one getting to know them a little bit, getting to know who they are, what they're about, what their, what their challenges are. You know, one of the things I was thinking about with our district manager of all of our stores uh, was, I was thinking this, sport, this morning, like, man, I hope you got out to all those stores yesterday as they reopened for one reason. And that is to just, you just got to check in and get the pulse mm -hmm. of your people, right? Mm -hmm. You've got to just see not not only what they're going through at work or what's happened to the buildings, but what's going on with them personally. And when you really get down to it, what is a CEO? Um, I think I always like to describe, I used to tell my students when I, when I was teaching, a CEO's job is really, it's, it's chief energy officer or chief. Mm. It's really what your job is, is like to manage the culture, to you know, carry the vision to carry that flag. And just when you think as a CEO or a leader, we can take CEO out of there as a leader that you're sick of hearing yourself talk about the vision and where you're going in the future. People are, you have to remember, they're just starting to hear what you're saying. Mm -hmm. So you've got to carry that flag. You got to carry it high. And you got to keep the vision front and forward. And that's where I think the chief energy officer is really is really what the role of a, of a leader is when you get I down love that. You got oh, to say something right what, seven, to, seven to 15 times in order for it to stick. So yeah. <laughs> I, I, you I, really I get tired. Ty, what do you think about that title? I think that's right up your alley. Right uh, there. I love it. Especially talking about what's forced and for like right now is what yeah. people care about. You know, great. If you want to hit 50 million in revenue, Mr. CEO, but I'm sitting here trying to just put food on my table. You know, I, I think that that energy comes in the present time. Um, and Tom, you're a fresh breath of air, man. This is this is a this is fun on a Monday morning here to, to hear a CEO uh, talk the way you are. And we've met a few folks like you, but I really wanted to ask quick, quickly, Tom, University of Buffalo, right? Yeah. Looks like you're pretty embedded there. Who are like the top two people that we don't know that came out of there that are the most influential people um, under under your realm? There are, are there any any just blockbuster folks that uh, there's some there's some great entrepreneurs. That, that have come out of UB. I, I, actually, the time that I was there, there were so many startups that came out of Blackstone Launchpad. Um, and a lot of them were small to start with, but uh, I can't off the top of my head, you know, right. name any, uh, you know, we can go through the list. There's lots of important people that have right. went to UB, but I would just say what's exciting about UB and, the, and to answer that question a little bit is from the time I started in 2008 is when I went to UB. I, I was brought in to run the Center for Entrepreneurial Leadership, which was sort of in our community, that was like one of the few things that really had the word entrepreneur in it. Mm -hmm. Today, 
there are so many activities at the university. There are so many activities in our community, 43 North, um, UB Blackstone Launchpad. Uh, you can just go on and on and on. And to, to see and be part of that culture change in our community at the time I was there and now, you know, still working in the community, obviously with Goodwill, is just so exciting to see people, to, to get people or people start to see that they can maybe believe in themselves and start a business. And so many um, human beings want to do their own thing, but there's often not a lot of role models around, mm -hmm. and, right? And we're starting to get that role model, you know, after role model where people can look and go, wow, Dan Manuzeski, you know, was one of the founders, Jack Greco, the founders of ACV, look at them today. And they were just like us at one time, right? But they were, but they were grinders. They were dreamers they were there and in the end they were doers so i think that's what's really cool is to be able to to see how much good stuff is coming out um, of our community a lot of it is coming out of ub too that's awesome and tom when you when you what characteristic do you, do you smell on people when you're like dude you got it like especially <laughs> when it comes to being an entre entrepreneur what what do you what what feeling do you get from somebody when when you just know it's, it's yeah. for them I think I think a couple things. One is what I would call dogged determination, stick to itiveness, um, or comfortable with failure. So entrepreneurs learn by failing. By it, really, to me, there is no. I don't. That word doesn't even mean to me what it does to a lot of people. It means like you know what, you get another chance. It's like cut your losses. Let's learn what we learned, and you and you get another chance um, to start over. So that's one. I think the other thing, and you're seeing this taught a lot in entrepreneurship. So one of the funny things is I used to teach an entrepreneurship class. And I would sort of chuckle and it's like, you can't teach entrepreneurship. It's like, you know, Seth Godin used to talk about, it's like trying to teach music, you know, without listening it, without doing it type, type of thing. Um, but what's interesting that we have found some things you can teach about entrepreneurship. And one of the critical things is to be, customer focus, right? Or end user focus in everything you do. A lot of people have great ideas and they, they think of a product and they want to build this thing and they never go out and talk to the market and say, hey, is there somebody out there that's going to buy it? They build it and they fail. So, so you want people that are willing to like put their ego aside and go out and, and really it requires deep, deep vulnerability because you're taking something you made and you're going out in the market and you're saying, like, what do you think of this? And people might not like it, but if they don't like it, you shouldn't be putting it out in the market or, or you should be using that feedback to help you build the product. Yeah. Yeah. I think taking that same <laughs> lesson, right. And, and, and that same methodology and that same practice from a customer experience is the same they can take for their employee experience that that equals that customer experience that I keep hearing you talk about is is kind of understanding what works externally is some of the same methodology or the same practices that you can apply internally for similar results or different results as you know one impacts the other. One of the things I wanted to ask about because I, I know the work that you guys are doing I saw with the uh, new workforce development program that uh, you guys are heading up. This, I kind of wanted to lead into that conversation by starting with what have you seen from an entrepreneurial uh, side of things, right? Because I think this is really not only the retirement, right? The great resignation where 45 to 55 year olds left the workforce in the majority. 
Um, us millennials got painted as the ones that are leaving the workforce, but in actuality, it was 45 to 55 year olds. Right. Um, we also came through a pandemic where I think people started to put a different value on their time, right? What is my time worth? Am I working for an organization that understands that work-life balance is impossible and I need flexibility in order to appropriately get my position done? Um, and then we also saw people push for entrepreneurism. Like uh, we can see, thanks to Amazons, and it's much easier to be an entrepreneur, but even a solopreneur during these right. times than ever before. Have you seen a dramatic shift, just what you've seen on the academic side, that more students are now seeing this as an opportunity as they progress through school than maybe when you and I graduated? I graduated 10 years ago, and even back to when you graduated. I guarantee entrepreneurism wasn't really something that was top of mind for most people um, because we needed safety, right? And safety right. was job security back then. Um, right. what, what have you seen shift? And I guess what, from your professional opinion, why is it shifting right now? Um, yeah. Because I think it also factors into the workforce planning aspect for organizations on what do we do now moving forward? Right. Yeah, so I think on the student side, entrepreneurship has been exploding as people see they have the opportunity. Uh, and and we'll, I can talk about the community in a second, but one of the things that as students, entrepreneurs are, have more role models and are exposed to entrepreneurship through programs that the universities have, um, it allows them to see they can do it. And back to your point about safety, right? Um, this is one of the things that prevents people from entrepreneurship is, once you have a stable job and you have health care, maybe you get have a partner or spouse and you're settling down, your tolerance for risk for most humans drops off like crazy because you're afraid like, okay, if I'm making 60 or 70 grand a year, I might be able to make a million on my own, but oh man, I can't give up. I don't want to take this risk. So I think as a student, a lot of people are in the... It, if you can catch them early enough, they're much more open to taking that risk. Now, as a community or as, as the country, the world, um, anytime there is any type of recessionary activity or a, a thing like COVID-19 where people are out of work, entrepreneurship explodes out of necessity. So if you go back and you look at the Fortune 500 companies and you go back and look at their history, it's almost to a T, they were formed during a deep recessionary period because wow. you have some very, very talented people that might have been laid off or at home or lost their jobs that have a lot of skill, but that safety factor or that fear factor, I'll call it, prevented them from doing anything. Well, COVID getting laid off, that ripped the fear factor away because there was nothing to be afraid of because maybe you didn't have it anymore, right? Or with COVID, as you said um, in the question, People are reconsidering what's important to them. And one of the hopes and dreams of most entrepreneurs is freedom from the nine to five lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Now, the truth is, you might probably work in 10 yeah, times you're probably that. <laughs> work 10 times as much, but you get to make your own schedule, yeah. right? But, but I think a lot of people are seeking their freedom. And the final thing I'll say about entrepreneurship that's exploding is entrepreneurship in the minority or underserved communities where people there's there's more programs there's more opportunity there's a little there's more funding and there's more role models so the fastest growing area of entrepreneurship is actually your traditionally underserved communities which wow. is 
awesome to see because what does entrepreneurship do? It doesn't just give somebody a job. It gives them the opportunity to create wealth, yeah. that to create generational wealth. And if we want to talk about equity, that's, that's not, you know, I know it's much more complicated discussion, but it's a good place to start is having a good job, um, having good benefits and maybe having your own business to be able to generate mm-hmm. not just a job or pay your bills, but generate excess wealth. Mm-hmm. And now, now we're seeing, uh, and Tyler and I had an interview with Brittany Willis on the show um, back in season two, talking about uh, side hustles, right? And now yeah. you're starting to see a more of a push where individuals are kind of dabbing and getting their feet wet in what does entrepreneurism look like, right? Can I... And side hustles are something that I've seen continue to grow quite significantly, probably because now as people have time, they're starting to say, well, I have time to do that, or I have a few minutes here. Um, Are you starting to hear more about side hustles than you've ever heard before as well? Yeah, a lot lot of people doing side hustles, some out of necessity. So when it comes back to your question, like how does this impact workforce development programs? One of the things that we found post-COVID-19 and the reason we built a good skills career builder, we built it for two reasons. One was to get people on a career path where they could have wealth generation, entry-level job that doesn't require a college degree, but in advanced manufacturing or tech, where they can get in the door with a good wage, um, good benefits, then there's a career path forward. But what we found was that people don't need a piece of paper. They don't need to go to more school. They need to have really good, what the employers want is somebody with attitude, aptitude, and commitment. That's what they need. And what the individuals need that have a job and our bridges between those employers and the individuals that need those jobs, what they need is they have to get food on the table. So I think how workforce programs are changing are you're going to see a lot more earn and learn models. So the fact, so recognizing the fact like, oh, we might not be able to send people a wave to a 12-month program because they're not going to go, they can't afford to go, and they, and they need to take care of their family. But we can put them in a short program, get them a job, and then when they're in the job, continue to upskill and educate them with the employers. And that's, so, that's, that's what I've seen from just the business side. And Ty, I'm sorry, once you talk about workforce planning and skills, because I'm in Leadership Rochester here in Rochester, and um, we learn more about it, right? You get out in the community, you get to see how the government works, you get to see how some of the nonprofit community works, the educational systems, and I'm really enjoying it. But the real missing piece to your point is there's a huge need from the workforce right now, right? Uh, employers have a massive need. The only challenge that I've seen is they're they're really not changing their job descriptions, the requirements for these positions, the mandatory requirements for these positions, um, because it, they're still adjusting to the supply and demand of today, right? And I think right. one of the most recent reports that I saw is one point uh, one job available or one point nine candidates available um, who are qualified for the positions. I don't understand how we move forward, Tom, without more workforce that earn and learn programs to start to bring individuals to the workforce that most employers have either forgot about, they didn't even know existed, right? Or didn't have the time to train and develop uh, in order to fulfill the positions that they had. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, I wanted to just com- commend you for the work that you're doing in that environment because I don't think it's a piece of paper. And I think we're gonna move further away from that piece of paper because of the longevity of hard skills is the half-life is shorter than it's ever been before. Oh, yeah, and it's what, only gonna what, continue to grow. Yeah, when we graduate somebody out of UB, 
in a technical field, I'm going to guess that 50% of what they learned is dead knowledge 24 months after they graduate. So to your point, you've got to continue and continue to learn. And I think, you know, part of this is on your, I, I hear what you're saying for the employers to yeah. recognize. Part of it's on workforce providers too, right. to recognize. And we believe if you're, if you don't have the employers at the table as equal partners, when you're developing programming, we need to hear from the employers, what skills you need. We used to call them soft skills. Mm-hmm. We don't use that term. We call them workforce readiness skills right now, but most of the hard skills employers can train for what they can't train for is showing up for work. How do you communicate with your boss? What do you do when you have conflict at work? Um, what do you do if you need off uh, Sunday to, for a family birthday party and your employer says no? How do you have that conversation? Mm-hmm. And I think having the employer at the table, and that's what we've done, is, is included the employer as equal partners and also listening to the needs of the people we're serving. And you are right. Mo- there are many, many jobs today do not require a college education and nothing against college. You know, I was at the university for a long time. I think that's important, but there's so many jobs and employers have to look at their job descriptions, have to think about what that means. And they also have to be willing to uh, recognize that when you're trying to uh, expand your workforce, and now we're trying to employ people that maybe were traditionally underemployed, Mm -hmm. Uh, you have to expect that there's going to be some challenges along the way. And most of the programs that we run, we provide three years of wraparound services with anybody that goes through our program so that we're there. If there's a hiccup along the way, we're there with a career coach to help the employer. We don't work with the employer directly, but we work with the employee Mm -hmm. to help them through maybe some of the challenges they have. And maybe an employer needs to think about, um, if I need to continually upskill my team, right, maybe I need to give them off four hours a week to go to mm-hmm. some additional training mm-hmm. or something like that to continue to upskill them. Yeah. And then I could talk about this forever. The <laughs> final yeah. thing that we have to pay attention to, um, unfortunately, are benefit cliffs, which you've probably heard that term. But a lot of people that come from underserved communities, the one thing that they've known is social services and Mm -hmm. they are significant or can be in new york state and often people choose not to get upskilled because if they make a little bit more we're going to take away say their child care or say their health care so you could make an extra hundred dollars and lose eight thousand dollars so i think us as a community and government and policy and employers we have to think about how do we work through that. Erie County is doing a great job now with an experimental program called Live Well Erie, where they're putting people, giving them added support for two years as they get upskilled to help them across these benefit cliffs. So Amazing. it's another part that we have to work with everybody on. Otherwise, Amazing. people, there's no incentive to to move up if you're going to lose things. Yeah. Well, like you said, with it's almost looking at it from the business perspective, we always used to call these capital improvements, but capital improvements yeah. never really included learning and development with the reskilling and upskilling, right. to reinvest right. in the organization. And I would say most organizations, to your point, are challenged to even understand what skills will be required even down the road. We're in a very reactionary state, and this is where I get to consult on the HR side and workforce planning side. We're very reactive. 
Um, but I love you bringing everybody to the table, including the community colleges, to really understand, well, what are the needs of our community, right? And we want people to stay. What is the business needs? What are the people's needs? I love all of that. One other fun fact, the number one lack, uh, self, uh, soft scale, bad word, I know, but um, self-motivation was number one in New York State. So I just found that fascinating. 73% of employers said self-motivation. Yeah, and it's interesting because it comes comes to leadership, right? I do not believe, and I know there's probably somebody in organizational behavior that will maybe disagree with this, but I don't think we motivate anybody as leaders. We can inspire people, but people need to motivate. Motivation, I believe, is largely internal. We can inspire people. We can give them that vision. We can show them where we're going. We can inspire them. But a lot of the motivation has to come internally. Yeah, and I think it comes from the environment that you create. Yeah, the culture. Yeah, the environment. So the ingredients to, to grow. Tyler, I, I've, already, I've already hogged time, Tom's time enough here. What, uh, what questions are you got burning to ask? Oh, dude, this, this is awesome, guys. I, I can do this forever. I, I mean, I'm, I'm a part of the, the workforce, just what we're talking about, Tom. I'm, people, I'm, I'm in the recruiting business, so I see it all day on j- j- just the whole nine. You know, I, I, I could, and I can honestly, I'm a nerd for the market. I don't know why, but I care about the market of, you know, IT professionals, for instance. Uh, but Tom, I wanted, we, we were talking about fear about 10 minutes ago. I heard you say the word fear a few times. Is there anything that intimidates you nowadays? I mean, you seem like a pretty confident soldier. Um, uh, what, what what intimidates Tom? And if nothing, what what did you use to fear, and how did you overcome that? So I I'm sure there's things I fear. There's physical things I fear. I can tell you that for certain. But <laughs> we'll we'll leave that for another conversation. I don't want anybody showing up at my door with snakes. Okay, it's like you can keep your snakes over there. Uh, I think the best way to answer that question is, yeah, there's physical fears that I have, like don't show up with any snakes at my door, but taking that aside, (laughs) I think at this point in my career, the biggest fear I have is not, not getting to, or not doing everything I was put here to do. If you believe in serendipity or you're here for a purpose. Um, And for me, that is building the, you know, here at, at Goodwill, it's building that team continuing. And we've got, We've got a really great team that we put together here and really handing off the business to them over the next several years so that um, Goodwill can continue. We're 102 years old. We can go on for another set of leaders and on after that up to another 100 years or so. That's amazing. That's amazing. And uh, I know I was late to the party, but uh, I know you were talking about climbing bigger mountains. Yeah, we were talking about a, a little bit. We were talking about uh, executive coaching, right? And I'm, I'm a firm believer uh, that it, all leaders, all senior leaders can benefit from a coach. I mean, we, we could have a whole discussion on that, but uh, firm believer in that. And I remember one of, one of the biggest learnings I, I've ever had, and it actually happened probably about three years ago, was a, a coach I was working with said, you're really good at climbing mountains and grabbing the flag at the top, but, and then going on to the next mountain, but why don't you just make a bigger mountain Mm. so that you can really, really accomplish something. So I think this comes from my background as an entrepreneur. So, so entrepreneurs are often attracted to shiny objects. Um, I like to tell them, and we're often good at starting things, the chaos. I really enjoy the chaos of building something, pulling a team together, finding the funding, all those pieces. 
but most entrepreneurs then get bored. Once you start to have to manage things, it, it gets boring. So I think the, the coaching there was, let's make the mountains a little bit bigger so you can have bigger impact out in the world. And I, I thought that was you. really, really helpful. Climb bigger mountains. Yeah, and it's almost like setting small goals and then stretch goals and all those other things. Yeah. And 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 really, I loved what you said because it was something that uh, way back when Ken, Coach Ken Clifford here at uh, Roberts Wesleyan had a tagline that just said thrive in chaos. And, and I think you explaining that, that entrepreneurs kind of have that ability to connect dots and help others to, to really look at it maybe and challenge their way of, of thinking previously. Um I, I really wanted to ask this question because um, I'm, I'm, I know you're having a lot of those discussions with entrepreneurs, right? And you talked about checking the ego. You talked about ego kind of getting in your way of development. If you had to say a top four um, that you really sit down and coach these entrepreneurs at UB's program, what is the top four? What is Tom's top four to leadership? So for entrepreneurs, if we, if I was teaching a class, which I'm, I'm not teaching there anymore, but if I was teaching what, what I would be saying to entrepreneurs, one is look in the mirror. I think that's the very first thing. Almost always, I'm going to guarantee you that if you're stuck, you're off in the bottleneck. Mm. Um, two is build a great team so the business doesn't even need you. If, if you're building out a team, that can get it all done and you're, you're not missed, which you will be missed, trust me. But you're able to work on the vision. You're, you're able to, I think of the lead entrepreneur as your job is really to, uh, is to predict the future, quite mm -hmm. frankly. Where's the company going, <laughs> right? Where's the company going? Um, I think another thing that's, that's really important that I would tell them is, and this is not my quote, this comes from, uh, uh, Yuri Levine, I think this is how you pronounce his last name, was one of the founders of Waze, was like, there's only right decisions and no decisions. So make a decision. Mm. Right? And so many times we get frozen by wanting to make the perfect decision. So the best entrepreneurs in the world, I hate the word pivot because I think it's just been abused and overused, but they're really good at iterating. They're really good at probing, taking a step forward, learning information, you got your antenna up, you gather all this in, and you're willing to step back, take, take the ego away and go, okay, I got to move five degrees this way to be successful. And if you ever look at a path of an entrepreneur from what they thought was going to be their idea to what the final product was, mm -hmm. it almost always is a, is a zigzagging path as they learn information um, to, to you know, kind of get there. And then the fourth thing I would say as, a, as an entrepreneurial leader Always remember momentum begets momentum. Man, if you can get rolling, you are going to keep rolling. It works in sports. It works in life. So when you've got momentum, take advantage of it. And if you don't have it, go look for it. Dig it up. Because that's if you start getting funding, you're going to get more funding. It's actually, you know, happened at some level here already at Goodwill. We're, we're, we're trying to build, one of my goals is to be, we have a social entrepreneurship or social innovation model. Our retail stores can totally self-fund our workforce development if we grow them and get them profitable enough. We've got the goal of being totally self-funding by 2030. We got some, we need some bridge funding and we've raised over $5.1 million in grant funding, which I don't 
which we need temporarily, but back to momentum begets momentum. We got some momentum, we did some research, we found a gap in it that needed to be filled. We filled it, we did a pilot project, and it just, it, it starts to feed itself. So I think that's really critical in entrepreneurship. Well, I'm I'm extremely excited to, to continue to watch that evolution because I it, it it's amazing to see a nonprofit really take workforce planning and workforce development to to this to this level. Um, where most for-profit organizations were still waiting for others to develop the talent first, and then then they'll be interested. Um, and this is, I think, just kind of if I was to summarize today's conversation, one of the biggest takeaways that I have is. Um, the importance, Tom, of you humanizing yourself first as an individual and knowing who you are to relate in those one-on-one -on -one conversations, to have a more trustful and transparent relationship, to build the team, putting the people in the right seats. But it all starts with humanizing yourself first. And, and I, I really thought that that was kind of the key takeaway for me from this conversation. But I just want to say thank you so much for agreeing to be on part of the show. Thanks so much for dealing with the technical difficulties halfway through or three quarters of the way through. Um, but this, I, I really just want to say thank you so much for, for all that you're doing, not only as an individual for the community up there in Buffalo with reskilling and upskilling the individuals to provide them a career opportunity, um, but just your perspective. Um, we need more leaders like you because you clearly see the difference that you can have on the greater community in which you're a part of. So really appreciate your time today. Thanks. And thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. You guys are a blast. <laughs> oh, this is awesome. More to come. about momentum all day, Tom. Momentum is my, and that's exactly what I tell Kevin like every other morning. Yeah.